0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. And this week on the panel, we have Alan Weimar. Hello. And me, Sasha Wolf, And we have a special guest this week, and that is Daniel Hawkins. Daniel, why don't we tell the audience why we invited you and what we are going to talk about today and why we think you are amazing. Hi, thanks for having me. So, um, yeah, I'm Danny. I'm a CTO and co-founder of a
1: company called QuickUp. Um, we started using Elixir around about 2015 for some specific use cases. And I'm going to talk about the kind of move to Elixir in the first place, the move away from Elixir, and then the move back to Elixir, and the pain and glory that we've experienced along that journey. So, yeah, that's, that's basically what we're going to talk about today.
2: Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to Whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's TopHeadDevs.com.
0: Yes, and I'm very excited about it. We, we had some episodes in the past where we talked about, okay, when not to use Elixir, or like how to onboard people to Elixir, all those kind of things. And from what I've gathered, all of, all of those are angles we can explore today on like the concrete example. <laughs> uh, in your case, Danny. So, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, So Danny, why don't you give us like a quick whirlwind tour of how you came personally to Elixir and how you ended up co-founding this company?
1: Yeah. So back in 2014, um, a bunch of uh, my, well, my co-founders and I were working in a company together and, We've kind of felt like we could do something together individually, like as a company. We had this this idea that we wanted to try and bring to life, which was based around the on-demand economy that was that was coming up at the time. And we had this idea: what if you could have anything that you wanted delivered within one hour to your door? Not just food, but anything. And so we built an application mobile application that allowed you to say hey go and pick up this thing from this store for me bring it to me within the hour and i'll pay you a bit of money for doing that we had quite some success with that the business has changed dramatically now but if we if we stay on on that for the moment we had this need for real-time data and the tracking locations of the drivers on our dispatch software and also being able to send that to our consumers so that they could track where the driver was and actually see in real time Around that time, that was still novel. I mean, it's everywhere now, but in 2014, the ability to track the drivers, see where they are from a consumer standpoint and from an operational standpoint was pretty pretty mind-blowing. So we initially created a real-time distribution like WebSocket server that was in Node.js, IO. And we didn't really like the performance of it. We didn't really like the way that it worked. And i uh, started uh, reading about Elixir, Erlang, WhatsApp, we're using it at the time. This whole 2 million concurrent connections on a single server was like, oh wow, this is some technology that can, that can scale. Also, I was a Rubyist. We were using Ruby at that time. And so, you know, there was this natural progression from Ruby to, um, to Elixir for people that were Pissed off with Ruby, basically. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that got me into the functional world, pattern matching. All that was like, this is amazing. This is the way code should be written. Immutable uh, data just felt really great. So... So we, the very first contact that we really had with Elixir was our real time server, um, which still exists today. And it's kind of, we, we refer to it as the beating heart of QuickUp. If the, um, if the ML is the brain, the real time server is the thing that sends that out to all concerned consumers. And it's been very solid all the way through. So that was our entry into the Elixir world. But, you know, around in 2014, the talent pool was not huge. It was still early days, really, when you talk relatively. And so we didn't really, we built a few other kind of small applications in Elixir that were just kind of Phoenix, RESTful, GraphQL, Absinthe kind of stuff. But then around about, I would say 2018, yeah, around 2018, because the the talent pool in the company was largely Ruby or JavaScript, uh, TypeScript specifically, we said, well, why don't we just focus on TypeScript? Because we can use that on the back end and the front end. It's a, it's a pretty good general use language. It's a very, very nice experience in the IDE. From VS Code, you know, the the type safety and the and the type checking almost gave you a safety barrier before even tests came into it because it would just tell you if something wasn't right. I mean, it was a nightmare to debug. Oh my god, the prop debugging promise chains is the worst thing in the world. It's horrible. But we had some success with a framework called Nestjs, which is a back-end framework in TypeScript. And on the front end we were using React, and we actually found that our developers were able to moved to some extent across the front end and the back end. We had a fair amount of shared code, and the NestJS framework encouraged pretty good modularity. And it was based on uh, Angular, actually. It was based on Angular from the front end, which had um, dependency injection, um, modularity. It was really, really nice. So that was kind of our strategy. Let's use TypeScript as a general use language at QuickUp, and Elixir will be special use case which in, in the case of the real-time server and um, anything else that we felt would need more scale than we could achieve with uh, the typescript stuff. Um, so that was, that was we were in a pretty good place. There was there wasn't really a, any big problem there. But around about that time, actually long before that we had, we'd been looking into event sourcing. We felt it was a, a good pattern for the company because having to deal with real world events that are happening all the time, parcels moving between custodians, drivers moving along the road, drivers moving in and out of geofences. All of this was useful information that we felt should be uh, events. So we got to the point at the beginning of 2019 and we said, okay, now's the time to re-architect into event sourcing the, the core uh, concerns of the business. But we felt like we should do that in TypeScript. We'd made this decision and it was a decision that we were, we felt that we should we should get behind. And so we started looking around for, first of all, You know, are there any kind of frameworks that can help us to do our event sorting? And there wasn't really that much. There were some good guidelines on CQRS and how to do this and how to do that. And we felt like there was enough that we could, that we could
0: make a go of it. When exactly?
1: Sorry, that was the beginning of 2019.
0: Okay. Okay. 2019. Okay. Got you.
1: Yeah. Around the beginning of 2019. Yeah. So we did some kind of architecture qualification. We, we used the event store DB initially from greg young
0: yeah yeah, yeah uh,
1: i'm aware yeah and it was it was all going reasonably well but it was there was a lot of work involved in just getting the basics going and we started to realize oh you know crap didn't think about this thing we didn't think like we didn't think about snapshotting and um, we, we didn't think about upcasting we didn't think about like a whole stream of things that we didn't yeah. think about that started to bite I- us in the ass
0: all of right. these event sourcing things, which then crop yeah. up as soon as you put the yeah. thing into production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. I want to change this event. Like, okay, but but now what? What about the old ones? Huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it really started to bite us in the ass. And so, and then I remembered I, I did a POC one time with Commanded, the event sourcing framework from Ben Smith, and it felt really good when I used it. I remember like. Feeling like this, this guy spent some time on this. He really understands it. And you look through the documentation, and it's got so many, like, oh, if you're in this situation, you can do this: and regenerating projections, upcasting events, but like event handlers and everything were all there in a really nice way. So what we decided to do was try to replicate those things. So we're like, okay, let's go and look. Uh, basically, our answer to everything was: if we didn't have something in TypeScript. That we needed for event sourcing. Let's go and look at how Commander did it. And it was, became like the de facto mode of operation for, for quite some time. Oh, we can't do this. Let's go and look how Commander did Sounds
0: it. Sounds like um, a dream, to be honest. <laughs> I
1: know, right? <laughs> so so that, we did that and and we had, again, some success, you know, snapshotting. Work, and actually, at a certain point, we moved away from event store DB and went to Postgres, mainly because of commanders. So we were like, if they're using it, and it works for them. Why don't we use it? Because we understand it much better than event store DB, And it's a bit more forgiving if we want to go and make some changes. Um, like if we do some bad stuff, we can go and fix it because we're still relatively new in the event sorting world. But then more and more of these things were coming up day in, day out. And we realized that the majority of our engineering time wasn't spent on delivering the end of the value to the product team. It was like building a framework for event source. <laughs> and it was at that point that we'd, we'd spent a significant amount of time on, on like six to eight months or something on a relatively simple feature, which was based around driver pay. So we decided we wanted to change the driver pay to a split between hourly pay and order rewards so bonuses per the amount of orders that they that they did so we architected this whole system with event modeling we started to develop that through this mechanism but then like i said we realized that the majority of our time was spent on building the basics or or dealing with situations that required the basics to be in place so at that point i was sitting there and i was thinking ah if we go and we do this with elixir and commanded we, we could have most of everything we've been working on for the six months is already there. And we can actually start to focus on the, the business value. So I actually got one of my uh, lead engineers, uh, Luis Valera. I asked him off the books, just do a to a POC, just see what you can do. Because I'd, I'd put a lot of, I'd put a lot of effort behind TypeScript and a lot of confidence in the team around TypeScript. And even with my co-founders, if I went to them and I said, guys, I think we made the wrong move. We should be going to Elixir. They're not going to be super happy with me at that point. So I needed something to show for it. I needed something to actually demonstrate this is the right move. And so Lewis went ahead and he did this kind of POC. And within like a week, he had got 50% 50% of the original system done, which has taken us like six months. And it was like, oh. <laughs> that, obviously, there's some value in that, you know, some of that some of that um, effort is in discovering how to solve the problems, mm-hmm. but not six months to two weeks. That's too much. That's yeah, yeah, clearly an yeah, indication definitely. that, yeah. So after that POC, I was able to speak to the rest of the company and, and my co-founder and say, this is the right move. And we, we doubled down on that effort and we were really really happy and and a lot of the reasons is uh a lot lot of the reason behind that is is that elixir and what you can effectively call the actor actor pattern right is that what ben smith has done with command is each of your aggregates is an actor and you don't have to rematerialize that actor every single time you want to send a message to them Because they're a gen server. So they're alive for as long as you want them to be alive. And this, this just meant that OTP and Elixir and and Commanded was such a good fit for this, for this event sourcing problem. And actually in the previous incarnation, when we were trying to use TypeScript, we the only, we actually ended up writing two different mechanisms to try and emulate that. One was a cache. So the aggregate would literally be living in Redis. And you would be set, you would still have to pull that back from Redis and then do whatever you want with it. And the other one was snapshotting as well. But the, the Gen server approach is just so elegant with aggregate as an actor. And so, yeah, the, now we've been running like that. We've, we've actually started on the second service. So we, we we're adopting a kind of SOA service-oriented architecture at the moment. We're not going down the microservices route specifically, but we're looking at specific domains in our business that make sense to be isolated, and um, like fleet operations and order management, for example. And we have now the event sourcing SOA services that we use, commanded, and then integration events move backwards and forwards between those via Kafka. But the effect on the team has been quite quite interesting. This is one of the, the most inter- interesting things of all, I, I think, is that both Lewis and I, when we were talking about doing this, we had concerns. We're the only Elixir people in the
0: company, just me and you. And like, like, so how many people were you in the developers at that point? It's
1: around eight, around eight. And so like not, basically
0: not, all of them more, more or less yeah, TypeScript devs, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Some Python experience,
1: uh, no Ruby experience. And, and then me and Lewis, who well, uh, we were just the only kind of Phoenix and Elixir people there. And so that was that was a worry. But at the same time, I'd been reading about what other companies have been doing. I also had some conversations with some other CTOs and technical guys that were using Elixir. And that gave me a bit more confidence because they said, you know, at the end of the day, you can get a lot more done with one Elixir developer than you can with a typescript front end and back end potentially as long as you find the, the right people and you know it seems to be pretty accurate you know because i don't i don't know what it is exactly maybe it's uh, the testing framework maybe it's uh, you know X unit or maybe it's phoenix or maybe it's elixir as a whole but your ability to be productive with it is is pretty high in my opinion
0: yeah, I, th- hey, I think, you. I mean, it's like some of the roots Jose has taken from Ruby, right? we like focus on developer happiness, but also yeah. that the Beam as a platform is, is, is very, very pragmatic. You know, like it, it's, it's yeah. re- it's been, it's basically been built by pragmatism. Like it's been built by a concrete need and it's not been designed in an ivory tower, but it's, and yeah. all of that combines to a platform, which I mean, Let's, let's face it, is focused on getting shit done.
1: (laughs) Exactly. 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 Yeah. And that that was actually one of the other small battles that we faced along the way is, you know, so we've gone to this TypeScript world. We decided we're going to come back to this Elixir world. And along the way, Golang has become like, everybody's Mm. like, Golang is the best thing in the world. Let's go to Golang, Golang, Golang. And I was like, okay, it's great but it's not really focused for me on productivity. It's focused on specifically like performance or or small microservices or- Ease of um, onboarding. Yeah, yeah. And, And a lot of the things that I was hearing about Golang is like, it's great, but you have to do everything yourself. Like, there's not that much there that you can get for free. And I'm like, no, I, mean, I want everything for free.
0: Yeah, <laughs> And they didn't even have the package manager at the beginning, right? I mean, this in is the beginning, like yeah, an ongoing I mean, thing.
1: Yeah. In fact, at the time I mean, we were considering it, I was blown away by the fact that I couldn't just drop stuff in there,
0: you know? it's Actually, it's an interesting perspective to be taken because, I mean, Golang and Kubernetes and all of these things are... Topics which, which evolved from, from Google, but to Google's specifics needs, right? Like, yeah, you you don't, we, we, as most software developers don't solve problems on the scale as Google tries to solve them, right? So like Golang as a language itself is not even designed for like a small team necessarily, but really for, okay, we have super big teams, you want people to get easy onboarding, We want to have simplicity, and that is what it is designed around. And that, that, that might be your use case, but it's definitely not the holy grail of language development.
1: Yeah, I mean, with a small team like what we had, what we still have in fact, is we're looking to be lean and we're looking to be effective and, mm-hmm. and productive. And that means that you have to have something in place that lends itself well to that. As we saw when we tried to build the underlying framework stuff in TypeScript from our side, it completely stopped our ability to deliver any company. Uh, That's quite the
0: opposite of Lean.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so when we went back to Elixir, well, first of all, we did so many good contributions in the community. I think it's probably one of the best communities I've seen. And so especially considering that it's a smaller language uh, or a smaller community than, say, in Golang or something like that, you know, you go to the the Elixir Lang Slack and there's, what, 34,000, 36,000 odd people in there. If you've got a problem, you go and ask it. And those, like, people are really helpful. They come back to you. They try to solve problems. And, and there's so many libraries available, HexPM, uh, to help you with problems. You know, some great ones like uh, Guardian, all of the uh, omniauth uh, UberAuth, use UberAuth heavily. Like, these are... There's just tons of libraries that are available that can help you focus on the business problem you're facing and not the underlying um the underlying scaffold that you need to get that yeah, stuff.
0: Yeah. But it even goes for like big names, right? Like I mean you just mentioned that a lot of the things you did was trying to replicate what commander does. And even Ben Smith, I, I still remember, I also worked at a project where we used Commander for event sourcing purposes. And at one point we were running on Azure and we had like an issue that our subscriptions like our event handler stopped consuming new events and we were like well what's going on like we had really tried to dig down into that and at some point i actually reached out to ben and was like hey like through slack like through the links like hey you know like i oh, was at Gitter, i don't remember but some platform reached out and i was like hey we have this weird problem we don't know what it is can you help us and yeah like he basically immediately yeah. jumped and he came to where our else does house that and, like, happen yeah, exactly. And <laughs> like and, and he figured it out. Like he figured out that actually the Postgres implementation of the subscribe and notify in Azure at that point was broken. That's why like basically the, the event handlers never never actually got the notification of new events. So yeah. Yeah. Crazy story. We
1: actually convinced Ben Smith to come to the office in London one time. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. So it was a time that we were first looking at commanded for actually specifically for chain of custody, the POC that I mentioned earlier, and uh, mm-hmm. the thing that actually brought me onto commanded in the first place. And he came into the office and he talked us through how it all worked and and everything. Like he did it as a, what we, I think we had a lunch and learn kind of session. Really good guy, really nice guy. And yeah, like you said, and it's the same, it's the same as like, uh, you know, Chris, Chris McCord and, and oh, who's the one from absence? I always forget his name from cargo sense Uh, it's another yes that's it he's around they're all around like all the creators of these big big libraries and frameworks that are used they're all around and so
0: active same with jose Um, i mean if you you post a question on elixir forum the good chances are that you might even get a response from jose
1: yeah so very very cool Yeah. So the experience, so we're, we're back in a happy place, quick up in the dev team. But what I was mentioning earlier is about the worries about the TypeScript devs and the Mm -hmm. fact that there was just two of us, two Elixir devs in the company. So we actually decided, you know, let's see if any of the TypeScript devs are interested. Like, do you guys want to do some Elixir? And, uh, one of our guys, Hussein, um, and also another guy, Nada, they're both working in that we had, we have like a dev team in Beirut. It's a strange place to have a dev team, but we do. And they they were like, oh yeah, I want to have a go. I want to try this thing out. So the first thing we did, and I think it's super important for anybody that's thinking about doing this, is make sure you get some kind of courseware, tutorials, material, something that isn't just scraps from the internet. Is I think it's better to find something that's a bit more well put together. And there was one from the Coding Gnome. I forget what the guy's name is, but the Coding Gnome, very very Dave Thomas. simple. Yes, exactly. It's
0: it's, it's Elixir for programmers. I've also heard very good things about that.
1: Very, very good.
0: I'm going to put a look, and just for, for our listeners, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes so you can check it out.
1: Perfect. Perfect. So, very, very approachable and nice, guided through something that's like a real world example, starts with a text based client, moves gradually on to the more complex things, and eventually you end up in the Phoenix world with your whole kind of web app. So, we got this and we had the guys go through that and they were, well, they were falling in love with the language like straight away Hussein we can't tear him away from it now we're like we got some typescript stuff for you to work on he's like really oh. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to stay in the election. <laughs> In fact everybody does everybody that's been exposed to it you know they just want to they just want to use it more and we found that Hussein was able to be productive in less than 2 weeks really he obviously he didn't understand Gen servers or OTP or the, uh, the the beam or anything like that. But I think uh, for anybody that's used specifically Phoenix as well is if you understand how you know MVC works or the basics of like REST, you can get fairly uh, fairly far ahead, especially with an existing code base. Because you end up you find yourself going in there and being able to find stuff and make those changes, and it's a bit more approachable. Sorry, my cat is meowing. <laughs> oh, so, no so yeah, it's a bit more, it's a bit more approachable and easy to get into, and then you can gradually learn that other twenty percent, which will give you, you know, the more the, the things like gen servers and, and and whatnot. So, Hussein has actually been doing gen servers and stuff now, and that's that's around four months after his initial his, uh, initial onboarding.
3: I have a question for you about learning, right? Sorry, but this yeah. is like actually I, I run into this a lot, like because I bring in Elixir to different companies. Of course, it's easy for me, you know, all of us to get started and get moving on new projects with Elixir. But to be honest, it's quite different, right? There's no what I would call dot notation where it's like if, you know object dot function, right? You don't have methods. Like you talked about TypeScript, we talked about Golang, all these languages we've been talking about in comparison are all OOP based, right? Where you have an object, you yeah, say it's a completely notation. Different to paradigm.
1: Yeah.
3: I mean how I that's actually what I get tripped up a lot on is that uh, for, for teaching new people, not for myself right now, but they're not used to like modules with functions and passing data in, data that doesn't change. They have to understand that, you know, hey, okay, I, I transform this thing, I have to catch or I say catch, but you know, like assign that to a new variable. We continue to use that one. The one I had originally is not actually mutated, and then also OTP itself, Gen servers, message passing. I mean, this is like tons of new stuff. And if you compare somebody going from TypeScript to to Elixir, it's a gigantic jump. Like, yeah, okay, if you look at it, it's not that difficult, but it is really a mind twist. Like, do you did you have problems with kind of bringing him on board with this? I mean, you said two weeks, but. Was those two weeks hell for him or was he actually able to kind of grab his mind around? Because for me, it took like a year to really get my mind around it. I was productive in a couple of weeks, but I think really a year to two years to really get into it. Yeah, I definitely think there is. I think you're going to get a mixed
1: experience with that. And it's, it's a very individualistic thing, right? It depends on your Previous experiences. It depends on your ability to absorb new ways of doing things. Also, how polyglot you are. If you've if you've had experience of many different languages and and how they work, your ability to switch between how a specific language works becomes becomes easier. In my opinion, but I think also you know in the in the the coding known guy. You know, they go, they touch on the the basics. It goes through the basics at the beginning. And also, if you just look at Elixir Lang, you can, you can start to get a grip on it. I think the two most important or maybe the, some of the most important things are the assignment operator isn't an assignment operator, right? It's uh, that's the most, one of the most important things to get to grips with, but that also leads you on to pattern matching or you can go either way from that. You start with pattern matching and then you realize that it's used there as well but yeah he just seemed to gel well with it and in fact both of the guys that, that are now doing elixir that started with typescript they just seemed to gel very well with it but i i would expect that other people would find it much more of an uphill struggle now but I, I agree with you 100% as well you get you can do stuff i mean i remember my first experience with elixir i didn't really understand it that well but i could do stuff with it i could understand it well enough to to use phoenix but it took me Probably a year, year and a half to actually be able to go and write a gen server without scratching my head and thinking, well, what is this doing? What is handle cast? What is handle call? How the hell do I do this thing? And only probably, you know, after a year and a half to two years, I was comfortable with gen servers. I could understand what they were doing. I'm still not comfortable with gen stage. <laughs> I still need to figure that one out, but I don't need to use it at the moment. But when I need to use it, I'll start to broaden my my uh, understanding further but for me it's a testament to i guess the the underlying goal is that you can be productive without knowing everything i mean you can get stuff done and then gradually you can learn the stuff that you need to progress as you go and that's one thing that i really enjoy about alexa
2: hi this is charles maxwood from top end devs and lately i've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one-hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go, and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching.
0: Yeah, and the awesome thing that the the course we just mentioned at XF actually does a very good job at at covering these basics. Like all of the the things, all of the stepping, uh, all of the... Pits, I guess, um you just mentioned, Ellen, are kinda of covered by that course from from what I know, from what I've heard people who did it talk about it I'd say about it. So you can actually like the basics and all of this new paradigm idea is something which I think the existing learning material actually covers quite well. The when it gets like, to the nitty-gritty parts, especially of OTP, um I mean we talked about it in the past, then you it becomes a bit more spotty in the sense of that there's a lot of wisdom also from the early community, which is not as readily accessible as the wisdom from the elixir community, which is more focused on making documentation, making information, making teaching material accessible to newcomers. But still, and that's, I mean, as you also just said, Danny, right? Like the community is super helpful. So like if. I, I bet money on if you like go to the Elixir forum like hey I I don't really grok Gen service I don't really grok OTP can somebody help me probably takes like ten minutes and you get a response <laughs> with some helpful resources so I, I I would bet fifty bucks on that yeah um, I'd
1: agree with you I'd agree with you there
0: but yeah I would be in- interested to hear I mean like as you just said you had like this team of like. Mostly TypeScript, there. Uh, which now jump into Elixir. So, what's the status quo now? Like, how how much is how much are you using Elixir right now? How much are you still using TypeScript? Do you have any plans on like getting rid of a TypeScript stuff at some point, or is it like this this twofold scenario of 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 Elixir and TypeScript, and you're rolling good with that?
1: Okay, um. So we could talk like my personal long-term plan is to eradicate TypeScript from the company completely and just have everything running on Elixir. But you know, let's say that's not... That's kind of just because I love the language, but it's not practical. There are some yeah, things fair. where using TypeScript and Nest and are really good. And also, we, we're going to keep on using React for the foreseeable future, uh, for, especially for our, for our external, external stuff. And I'm going to touch on LiveView in a short while but the status quo now is that, so there's Lewis and I are still like with the original Elixir developers that are using Elixir on a, on a daily basis. We have Nada and Hussein, which are very capable and they, they came from the TypeScript world. And we actually hired two new Elixir uh, devs just recently. And that's another thing is that hiring has got a lot easier. It used to be quite difficult, but now there's a lot of options for, for hiring, especially if you're looking globally, which we are, we, we operate mainly in Dubai, the Dubai is not exactly known as a tech hub. (laughs) So to find Elixir developers in Dubai might be a bit of a challenge. And so once we widened it and said, okay, we're going to be remote anyway, we found it much easier to find and attract good talent. And so now the the view is that all of our um, core services, all backend stuff will move to Elixir using event sourcing, where applicable and potentially some of the internal tooling will will gradually move to live view but we're very early days on live view at the moment
0: yeah okay that's interesting to hear I mean, you talked about this journey of like first having Elixir, then then TypeScript all the way, and now back to Elixir. If you could travel back in time, would you do it again like that?
1: No, I think I would have. I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? Yeah, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> but, uh, but like knowing what I know now, of course, I would have committed to the Elixir route fully on the back end and invested more in not necessarily finding elixir people if they were if we couldn't find elixir people, fine. Let's find people that are good engineers and give them a track for Elixir if they're interested. I've heard of uh, several companies that have done that and have good, had great success. And one of the some of the people that I spoke to actually reported that as well. So yeah, I think I wouldn't have wasted that time going down the TypeScript route. Like I'm not. I'm not trashing on TypeScript or, or JavaScript. They they have their place. There and, and is and using TypeScript and VS Code with some of the. It's been so enjoyable. It's so fast to get things up and running, and it's so lightweight. But it just didn't give us what we needed when it came to more advanced.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's also I think like one thing you said at the very beginning that you that you had the first prototype with a bit of, so- of socket IO in like Node.js, and I mean it's interesting to hear that because from where like my experience with Node.js also was really when it was back in beta, and I was actually part parts of my bachelor thesis were about Node.js <laughs> and because um, from what I can remember, like Node and like little JavaScript. Uh, the JavaScript ecosystem was one of the very first ones which really embraced this idea about WebSockets, right? Like that, that really pushed forward there. And, and SocketIO was was kind of like a what? Yeah, like this persistent connection between the server and the browser. That is absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, like my, my bachelor thesis was literally mostly about WebSockets, how you could use it to have like some kind of real time interaction on on websites. And uh, in this case, it was about experimental sensoric measurements. Being visualized you know but yeah that all of that was in no so like i find it interesting to hear that even then like back back in 2015 right that was uh you you already realized that phoenix and elixir w- were so much better suited for that what version of elixir was that and what version of phoenix was that it must have been like relatively early right
1: well, it was relatively early it was uh... Oh God, now you're asking me. It must have been like 1.3 or something like that, around, around 1.3, 1.2. Yeah, it was, it was quite early days, but it was amazing seeing that, that work and, and how little resource it was using for these connections and how easy it was to manage those connections as well. Then, uh, being able to, so th- that was my first experience also of, um, clustering, like distributed airline. Uh, so we use cluster. Oh. Okay. And later up, Later on, we actually wrote one of our guys in our company wrote a library called libelection, which is on GitHub, and that was because we started to use Kafka as well. And with Kafka, you would want to have a, a single consumer across your cluster. You don't, unless you're partitioning Kafka, you don't want to have multiple consumers listening to the same partition because it messes everything up. So libelection was just a way to elect one of the lib cluster nodes as a leader. And so we, we actually wrote a library that went onto GitHub and I felt great about that as well. Although it never really got used that much, but it was, it was a good feeling to actually do something like the rest of the Elixir community, which is um, putting stuff back out there, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, but that's nice. But like, I guess, I mean, like we just said, like an insight is always right. But when you consider that it was 1.3 at that point, the Elixir community was probably even smaller than it is now. And like, that's not going to lie. Elixir is still pretty niche. I think it makes sense that you said, okay, like, we want to open up our hiring pool. We, we didn't have yet have have made the experience about Lexia being actually quite easy to onboard. It, yeah, with All the information at the hand, yeah, it was a sound decision, I guess.
1: It, it felt like a sound decision. And up until the point when the, the we encountered stuff where Elixir really would have helped us. And, and I guess the main thing that I would have changed is the ability to have made that that distinction sooner. You know, we, we made, uh, we spent a lot of time looking at commanded and saying, this is great. Let's reproduce that. When really it should have been obvious that we could just build in commanded. Why, why were we um, deciding as a team that we needed to have this general use language that everybody, obviously, there's a benefit to doing that because you have the developers working on it. But there's a lot of places where you say, don't just say, we're going to use this tool because this is a tool that we know and love. You know, mm-hmm. you should be looking at what is the right tool for the problem you have what is the right as uh tool to solve that problem in a, in a in a sufficient way and if i'd done that it would have probably happened sooner and we would have made the discovery sooner but uh you know you learn
0: yeah, it's pretty much what we also, when, when Alan, uh, Adem, we had the episode on like, when not to use Elixir, that, that, that is what it boiled down to, right? Like, figure out what your problem is, figure out what your use case is, and then make a choice based on that. And sometimes that might not be Elixir, right? Like, if you have a specific problem where Elixir maybe doesn't bring a huge advantage to the table, and you have a team, for example, in your case, of types of developers, why the hell would you choose Elixir? But in your case, well, there was compelling reason. <laughs> <laughs> to do something else. I would like to know, Danny, how was it then? I mean like you said okay the people were, were pretty quick to pick up Elixir, but how was it for Morel, I guess? Because I mean you you just said they had this this proof of concept which was built in like two weeks implemented 50% of what you needed. And then you had this TypeScript thing where you like worked on for over half a year. And now you said, okay, l- l- let's jump ship, right? L- 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 let's switch over to Elixir. H- how did you handle that with the team and how did the team feel about that? Because I mean, at the end of the day, I guess, uh, yeah, you have some learnings and like, a better understanding of how like an event source and CQRS system works, but still you're gonna throw away code, right? <laughs> throw away code people worked on hard. So how was that?
1: Yeah, it's it's, 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 a, good, it's a good question actually. So, the first, the first thing I should mention is that I have a bit of a reputation for being the guy that jumps on new things too quickly. I'm like, wow, this thing's awesome. Let's use it. And then Are you we, using Cassandra?
0: Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. MongoDB.
1: <laughs> no, that's what I avoided. I'm, uh, okay. I'm not a hype driven guy. I'm definitely okay. hype driven as long as it makes sense. Right. So if, if I think it's cool, fair enough. um, so Elixir and like when I started using it, I was like, this is, this is awesome. It's cool. I can do amazing stuff with it. And so there's been many of these things in the past where I've been like, Oh, this is great. Let's jump on it. And gradually over time, I've had to get a bit more disciplined about that and, you know, not be the guy that disrupts the team because I think something's cool. So there was, that was a bit difficult for me because all of a sudden I'd realized that this was the right choice, but I didn't just want to say, guys, we're changing everything, we're doing this. I wanted to be, exactly like you said, considerate of the guys that have been doing this work and we've all been slaving away in TypeScript to produce these things. So the first thing there was that I mentioned like Hussein and Nada, those, those were the guys that were working in the TypeScript area. So it was a chance for them to actually experience something that new and to actually take the knowledge, you know, the not just the knowledge that they've been gaining through the process so far, but also the pain and have the ability to see if this reduced the pain and gave them a new experience that was better. And definitely, I feel that that was the case. I mean, we would have to ask them <laughs> themselves, but my, my, I feel quite good that they, they're on board with that. And so you, so
0: you already on. were. That's one question. So you already were at the point where where, where parts of the team had realized that that the way you currently were doing things were producing overhead, which which wasn't maybe as great right like i mean you you mentioned that you um, realized that, that you mostly spent time on re- rebuilding like building a framework for for sourcing. so uh, so that that was a realization which also was already which over, over the team also already had at that point i assume
1: absolutely yeah so yeah, okay. there, there was already that makes sense. you know we we could see the the sprint board we could see the backlog and we could mm-hmm. see that a lot of it was solving underlying stuff that didn't necessarily deliver business value straight away don't get me wrong there was some overhead in the whole concept of event sourcing in general like event modeling and understanding aggregates and and so it would be yeah it would be unfair to have like a direct comparison between what what it would have been like um you have to compensate with some of that but yes definitely the backlog was mainly full up of stuff that we didn't end up needing to do once we move to commanded in elixir so yeah having those those devs be the guys that were involved in that i think it's crucial I, I think if you were to just like bring into elixir devs and say okay guys we're going to do an elixir and everything you did is is nothing that would be very very uncool so that was one big element of it. The other element would even, was that
0: I would even go absolutely. further and say it's a I would even go further and say it's a recipe for disaster.
1: <laughs> exactly. It would be a recipe for disaster. And then the other thing was we had our senior front end guy at the time, um Sam Tutton. He's since left the company to go and do some coffee, online coffee brewing or something. He's coffee nut and he decided to go and do co- some coffee business in midlife crisis. Anyway, so <laughs> Sam Sutton, uh, he was like the senior JavaScript typescript guy. And he had always wanted to get into Elixir and he had, touched on it in certain places, but he was always too busy with the, the the front end stuff that he was responsible for in the company. So there wasn't really capacity for him to, to ever get to that point. But he liked it and he understood it and he and he saw the value in it. So it wasn't like I was just putting something in front of people that didn't make sense to them. It made sense to them. We just had to prove that it actually did the things that we expected it would do. And this was the whole idea of that. Poc proof of concept like and qualification of that architecture revealed that in fact it did look good. So the first time I said that we should move to Elixir was probably around three months before we actually did that POC. And actually, what happened was my co-founders were like, "Oh, come on, you can't do this. You've you've told us this is the way forward, and it should be the way forward." And that that actually caused me to to say, "Okay, no, I should keep on with the TypeScript route." And then I did for a while. Until it just became so apparent that it's really a bad choice. And I had to say, guys, no, this is, we've got to make this change. And it was definitely the right one, but it was, it was a difficult, difficult one to, to make because of all the factors that you mentioned. And also the factors that I put my money behind the TypeScript route, quite literally the money of the company behind the TypeScript route. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but you have to be able to learn from learn from these experiences right so we we learn how to approach things a bit better the next time around and we learn how to make sure that the you know not necessarily say i i said to you i believe we should be using elixir for everything but given the lessons of the past that's not the case if there is a specific problem we come across that we're like actually this is perfect for golang or this is perfect for you know python then we should look into that
0: yeah yeah i'm a, I'm also a big believer of like choosing the right tool for the job It just so happens that I think that Elixir is a very good tool for most of the problems we as like average Joe web developers backend developers face you know it's just yeah. a very good overlap <laughs> I
1: definitely so, agree with that, that that's, that's the main thing is that it 's a general all-round good tool.
0: Yeah, but if I—I I don't know—if I had to build like I don't some some number crunching, or even though with like an X, I think you could make the argument that this is getting better in Elixir. But um, in the past, if you said, okay, I want to like some high-performance and number crunching thing, then yeah, I mean that—that that, that, like, I don't know, like some physics engine or whatever, right? Like that, I'm not going to use Elixir for that, but that's, that's not actually, my it's day-to-day a, job.
1: It's—it's <laughs> it's, that's actually a really good point. Uh, so really early on in the company, where I, I we also had this. This uh, other kind of case where we were doing some routing optimization kind of stuff, some ML kind of stuff. And at at that time, we were using Node IO, and it was like, we should use Node for this. But actually, that was never a good choice. Pandas, uh, Python, all of the numeric optimizations that were made in Python and the ML tools that are available in Python, meant that that was the right tool for the job. So yeah, it's always good to look at what is the right tool for the job
0: yeah yeah, definitely so yeah all things considered i mean you you also said that you you don't regret now making the move you maybe should have done it earlier i guess one thing um, which is important to consider is uh, yeah you had all of these learnings but you also made all of these mistakes i guess more on the typescript side like where you're learning learning event sourcing first realizing how do you how do you do event versioning how do you to replay projections, right? All of those were learnings, I guess, you you then brought into this new era of Elixir, let's call it that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and, I mean, I think as, as software engineers, we, we sometimes forget that the learnings we make along the way are maybe just as valuable as some of the business value we are delivering, maybe not for the company itself, but for future Endeavors of delivering business value, you know.
1: Yeah, and also I would say that I mean, we say, would you go back and change anything? But I actually see a, a lot of value in the route that we took because we really appreciate the value and the complexity of what we're taking on, both from a perspective of if you try and do it yourself, and if you're using a framework that gives you some support. There, what difference it can make. So it's uh, it's quite valuable.
0: Okay, uh, thank you, thank you for these insights, Danny. And like, it's I'm, I'm excited to. Maybe, who knows, maybe, maybe we can, we can have another episode and like one year down the road. And he said like, yeah, yeah, we went back to TypeScript.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, especially because now we also have the added fun of live view, which we're just starting to scratch. Like we're just starting to play with a little bit internally. and um, we have we're, we're thinking to be able to use it to, for some of the internal applications that we run. And we started to do so in some cases and wow. Wow, live view is a game changer, in my opinion. The, the only way to get away from JavaScript fatigue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Is this something where you say, I mean, like you now said, okay, you want to potentially move forward with more Elixir on the back end. You also mentioned that you do TypeScript on the front end with React. Is that then something where you say, well, who knows? And like, I don't know, six months down the line, we, we no longer do TypeScript on the front end as well?
1: Potentially, because I've also got another thing that I'm involved in. So actually, early on in the process of, of doing uh, TypeScript and event sourcing and, and NestJS and the, this whole project, I was also involved with a, a game gaming community called the IVRL international virtual reality league and this was a community that me and some other people set up after not being too satisfied with the existing uh, leagues that were there mm-hmm. so i started to use this technology to build a platform there because it was much lower risk there was like a few thousand users there was no revenue there was no like if it went down for a day it doesn't really matter if if quickup goes down for a day <laughs> end, end of story you know it can't it can't go down so I was using this org as a way to kind of prove this te- this technology and um, the event sourcing. And actually, I did the whole thing in TypeScript and then converted it into Elixir with Commanded after we did our initial POC and started to do more kind of evolutionary stuff on there, which includes like, so that whole platform is is using Live View, And so that's been my kind of playground, my training experience, my ability to understand what can be done with Live View has been on this much lower risk project that I've been working on uh, in, in the gaming community. And I'd say, I really believe that it's the future. I don't see why it couldn't be because uh, it just reduces so much overhead. Don't have to think about like API, don't have to think about like API authentication, don't have to think about REST and GraphQL and, and separate front end stack and separate back end stack, and do you combine them together, or do you have separate projects? All these kind of things you you have to deal with in the current de facto, which is like an API in a front end, and and that includes the uh, the JavaScript fatigue, Webpack bundler, Parcel bun, like all of the different React, Next.js, create React app. There's just so so many ways that you can go that you can you almost get like a paralysis of choice, um, and then having to keep those updated, having to... There's just constantly moving at a rapid pace. There's always a better tool to do something in the JavaScript world. And I just got super exhausted by by that, honestly. And one of the things when I saw Live View and actually committed to using it for the first time, it just was a game changer. It felt like way back to the days... Where a single developer, you can just create a POC, you can just make an app, and then you know you add Tailwind on top of that, yeah, and yeah. Alpine, you get to the Petal stack, and it's like the holy grail of development, in my opinion.
0: It's kind of like the like, the good old days, the Lamp stack, right? Like suddenly you you could actually develop like a like a backend and HTML based application and all of that in one language and like through one stack, holy shit! So yeah. yeah,
1: and and on and on top of that, it's it's like real time. <laughs> it's like,
0: Every time, yeah, indeed.
1: Yeah, and, and the, the way that it does it as well with the diffs, you know, being able to send the diffs over the WebSocket instead of the full payload. So it's so efficient.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I actually was on the Elixir EU conference back in when was that? 2000. I did when like Chris McCord basically showcased this Flappy Bird thing he he, he was a Flappy Bird no he didn't, he didn't build Flappy Bird that was came, that came later I think but like he had this, this even like an animation he did with like yeah the animation rumbling, yeah. I, I where, where, yeah, where, he, where he even said this is like not a good use case for it but it just showcases what it could do that was great it was like I, I still remember the audience being like
1: what <laughs> yeah. and then of course there's the live book that came off the back of that yeah, yeah. live book up being I've been using that as well. I actually did another medium post on connecting Livebook to Kubernetes so to a running node in Kubernetes. So you can That's actually Yeah, it's very, very cool. But like Livebook, I we don't want to go straight out to client facing production apps with that. Um although like I said, I've already with the org, I've already I'm already doing that. But the reality is we have specific use cases which wouldn't fit well with that. So, for example, our driver app is a mobile app, native app, and there are some offline capabilities that are required there, push notifications, things like that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to, that's going to remain as, as is. And some of the, the web app experiences are, they're already, we've invested so much in React and the tooling around React to build our own kind of solutions there that, it wouldn't be a very cool thing to just go in and just like swap all that out. Um, yeah, especially if there's the way no that,
0: need for it, right? If it works, if it doesn't, exactly,
1: job. exactly. So our path to to potentially becoming a live view first kind of company is to start with internal tools where it makes sense. And so there are several mm-hmm. tools that we that we run internally which we found already that we can be more productive by using live view but one of, i think the biggest challenge with adopting live view is convincing your existing front-end developers that it's a good
0: choice <laughs> yeah i can imagine
1: <laughs> one, right because they're, they're, they're in this javascript reacts or view or whatever world and they're great ways to develop front-end apps your components passing your props and and uh, it's they're really nice ways to working with front-end in the virtual dom and all that kind of stuff and i wouldn't necessarily say it's broken uh, the part that's broken is this, the back end front end side that always ends up with front end not being able to progress as fast as they want to because they're dependent on something changing in the back end and i've never been a fan of this front end back end divide and so i think if live view is to be successful there needs to be some options there. So uh, there already is one option that I think is kind of interesting. Um, I haven't looked into fully, which is the LiveView React library. So uh, I think it's on HexPM, where instead of the front end being like HEX, HEX, HTML, it's, it's, you can mount React components in there. And actually what the LiveView sends is the props. So the props comes back and forth over the WebSocket. So you can still use React, but LiveView is powering your props. And then, of course, there's surface that there's that library as well which can make it a bit more approachable to people that are used to more uh components driven interfaces. but I do see that as mm-hmm. a battle that's going to be difficult
0: yeah i mean in general, I think it's super interesting to hear like this i guess this case study of like elixir in the wild right because i mean uh especially in the community and also on the pod, in this podcast we we, we tend to talk about these things more in like these greenfield perfect world scenarios where right? like, okay, you have this new exciting thing and it solves all your problems. I'm exaggerating here, but and but most of the developers out there do not operate in, the, in that context, right? Like most people in their day-to-day jobs, they don't work every day with greenfield projects. They have... Existing applications, a brownfield uh, a brownfield scenario, where, where you have to build in and inside of an existing application, inside of an existing architecture with existing choices, you can't just easily nilly really, willy really get rid of. I, I'm I'm the same position right now. Like we we have like a bit of a microservice architecture going on, but more like microservices going wrong, and we have like also some internal applications and admin interfaces which are written in Vue for like <laughs> no good reason except for back when it was built the front end people didn't have anything to do so they a built their app, 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 app interface Right, that's like the whole reason behind it and in that existing context like you have these things they work and you might even have good good reasons to say hey people might want to potentially switch technologies but at the end of the day you don't get built to you don't get paid to build the perfect clean system you get built to solve business problems and then you have to find room and create room and and Figure out okay what's the most responsible and pragmatic way forward where you can kind of achieve both. Because at the end of the day, we don't just want clean systems and and easy to maintain systems because it's nicer to work with them, but it also allows us to move faster. So there there is a tangible impact, but it's more like a long term versus short term scenario. So yeah, great great to have to hear your real world experience in in some of these some of these cases.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, I think yeah, agility that's the key that yeah. Everybody's trying to achieve, right? Is uh agility.
0: Okay. Then yeah, then yeah. I would actually be interested. I mean, maybe, who knows? Maybe one year down the road, we we can have a chat again and see like I would uh, love where to you've been that. moving. Yeah, uh, I would love to do can, that. Kind of, it's like a recurring theme, and and figure, okay, like one, twelve months later, how how does it look like? But it was a pleasure having you here.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Okay, so if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? And I mean on, on that note is uh, are, are you hiring?
1: Um, we're not hiring right at the moment, but it would be good to if anybody is interested in working with us to we can have a conversation because there will be hiring opportunities come up as long as our plans go to uh, are successful over the, the coming months. Um, so definitely if anybody is interested in working with us, um, you can reach me at uh, danny atquickup.com That's quIQ. Up.com as my email and also on, um, on Twitter, Danny Hawkins. Um, if anybody wants to add me
2: there, all good. Nice. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium.
0: Then, as as I mentioned before, we paid record, we are going to transition to picks. So I only have one pick this week, and that is a conference I'm going to attend in, wait, not let me laugh, in beginning of November, end of October. And that's the Kandinsky, The can, it's written with triple D. Because it's a DDD conference, Domain Driven Design, and it's, it's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's Germany's, as far as I know, first and only Domain Driven Design conference. Uh, it takes place in Berlin. I'll be there. It will be a pleasure to meet to meet a lot of these people. And if anyone, one of you, wants to, is interested and maybe lives in or around Germany and, and wants to learn more about Domain Driven Design, which I think you should, then you can find me there and should definitely take a look at the event. I'm as, as usual there's going to be a link at the show notes so Danny what are your picks
1: I've got three picks I've got one for reading uh one for health and one for fun so for we'll go backwards for for fun if anybody wants to try something that is completely mind-blowing and a lot of fun. I I started playing virtual reality first-person shooter game called Onward VR um, around two years ago, and I'm addicted to it. So if you want a a kind of paintball experience that you can just put on your head and and then come back to your living room afterwards, I definitely recommend looking into that. It's a really, really fun thing to do. For health, I recently invested in a treadmill for my standing desk, and I can tell you it's the most the best investment I've had for my health. And I can walk eight kilometers while I'm reading or working. And it took around a week to get used to, but it definitely would recommend anybody that is sat at a desk all day and works as hard as me, having a treadmill under your desk is very useful. And for reading, I'm sure a lot lot of people already read this, but Accelerate is an amazing book. It's based on a four-year study of the way product and tech teams work and the insights gained from that on what actually works to drive teams forward. It's one of the best reads that I've had in the past decade, so I definitely recommend that to anybody.
0: Good to know. It's on it's on my ever growing reading list, but I haven't yet gotten to it.
1: <laughs> I was I was the same. I was the same for around a year, and I regret not reading it sooner.
0: Okay. Uh, do you have like a concrete recommendation for like a treadmill, or is it just like whatever whatever treadmill works?
1: So uh, yeah, I, I got. Hang on, a, a spar nod. I got a spar nod one on Amazon. Spar nod, uh, S P A R N O D. It was only like four hundred dollars, three hundred fifty dollars. It collapses, so you can put it up against the wall, and you just pull it out when you need it for the standing desk. So yeah,
0: nice, nice. And that might be something I also should be getting. I, I don't have a standing desk yet, but I'm, I've been eyeing and on getting one yeah. because I, I, I'm also working fully remote uh, now. So. Eh?
1: It's so you know? good. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I was just having the battle. Like, I've got a gym downstairs, but I'm not going there because I'm, I go down there and I think I want to go upstairs and do my work.
0: Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. All the things, all the things. Okay. It was a pleasure having you, Danny. It was a pleasure talking to you. It was really fun.
1: Yeah. Same to you. And I look forward to coming again in a year or maybe sooner <laughs> talk more. Yeah. I'd be yeah. happy to do that.
0: So sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. And it was also, I hope it was a pleasure listening to us folks. I hope you tune in next time when we have another episode of Leximix.
2: Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.